I want to take a minute. Would you guys turn to Mark chapter 12? Uh, We're going to get into the Word, and I know that it is warm, and so I promise to not be long-winded. But we do want to be in the Word today, and we're going to continue our study of the attributes of God. Um, As you're turning, I want to kind of remind you what we're doing. On first Sundays, we have been using this as an opportunity to teach doctrine. Uh, Now, you all know that we're still teaching doctrine in house churches, but typically what we're doing in the house churches is going chapter by chapter, uh, addressing God's Word. Uh, I'd like to avoid topical teaching as a pastor. I like to just be in Scripture, but I've noticed that We want to create clear doctrinal categories so that we understand things and can respond to error accordingly. And when we pick a doctrinal topic and we teach on it, it helps us cover some of these things. So, uh, we have been going through the attributes of God. Uh, Last time, we went through a couple of them. And so some of you are like, man, this is, maybe you're not like this, maybe you are, but some people are like, man, doctrine, like, how does this affect me? Why am I doing this? And so part of what we're going to do today, we're going to address two attributes of God, but in the process, we're going to address why it matters that I pay attention to God's attributes, why it matters that I know him as he is, as he has revealed himself, right? So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into it. Father, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you that it is not terribly hot today as it could be. Um, Thank you for those who are here fellowshipping together. We've had rich fellowship already. And as we take some time briefly to see who you are as you have revealed yourself in your word, uh, Lord, would you illuminate God's word to us by your Holy Spirit, that we would understand it, that we would have clear understanding of who you are as you've revealed yourself. Anoint me as I speak. May I speak according to what is true and nothing more. And then, God, give us ears to hear that we would understand in, excuse me, in so much as we can, and then that we would respond accordingly and fellowship after in Christ's name. Amen. So attributes of God. When we talk about God's attributes, just setting it up a little bit, we discuss it in two different categories. We have God's communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes. Does anybody remember what communicable attributes are? You can cheat and look at the slide. I won't complain. What is a communicable attribute? Yes. Thank you for cheating and reading. That's good. Um, A communicable attribute has to do with, say, strength. There is such a thing as human ability and strength. We have a concept, being that we are in God's image, we can have a concept of strength, and yet God is infinitely powerful, right? A shadow, a very simple understanding of something that is infinite, that's a That's a communicable attribute. The way it's easy to remember is that, like, well, we can communicate it in who we are to some degree, even though it is a very limited way, right? An incommunicable attribute is something that is related to the fact that God is wholly other. There is nothing like it in us, right? When we talk about an incommunicable attribute, it's just something, there's no human, no being in this world that's anything like his incommunicable attributes. Make sense? So a couple of examples. Uh, Last month we talked about God's aseity, that he is without origin and that he does not need to depend on anyone or anything for his sustenance. In fact, he is the source of all things. God is has one of his attributes is aseity. We talked about his immutability, that though he is divine, he is alive, he is active, he does not change across the millennia, across eternity. He stays the same. Well, this is 
this is kind of wild to us, right? Because we're used to a thing that is living is changing and aging. Not so with God. He is alive and yet remains unchanging. This week we're going to talk about his unity and his infinity. That God is uniquely one in nature. And he cannot be divided into parts. Nor are there multiple gods. He is one God, three persons, eternally existing as one divine essence. Right? Unity of God. And yet his infinity, that he has no limitations save for self-limitations, which we'll address in a minute. Uh, In later months, we're going to talk about his spirituality, his intellect, his morality and sovereignty, and all of the attributes uh, that fit within those categories. Because what we want to do is understand God as he's revealed himself. I don't want to go around thinking something about God that just seems right to me or is something that I once heard. I want to look into his word and say, this is what God says about himself, and so this is the God that I worship. And while we are all guilty of misunderstandings to some degree, we don't, I just don't want us to be a church of idolaters. I want us to see God as he has revealed himself and worship him in accordance. Cool? So let's jump in and talk about unity. God's unity uh, is that he is uniquely one in number and not divisible. Uh, If you want to look at Mark chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 28 through 31. Um, And this is a key passage for a lot of reasons. Uh, Most of us, when we have heard this passage, we're thinking about the two great commandments. A lot of times we gloss over something really important here. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 28, it says... And one of the scribes came up, and hearing them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. just want to pause right there. Almost every time we read this passage, we gloss over that phrase, and we jump to, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. I, I'm, I, I have done that. I'm, I'm guilty of that. But Jesus says that the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then he continues. Anybody, understand, anybody know what he is quoting here? Yeah, the Shema. He's quoting the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6.4, and it's this whole, like, the Lord is one. So why, when they ask him what the greatest commandment is, he begins with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Why does he start with that, as opposed to, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? <coughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Maybe a better, oh yeah, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying something about God's attributes here. Now, I want to point out uh, the Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 passages that he's quoting here. Scholars, when they read that, will say, hey, this might not be about his unity necessarily. It might be a communication of monotheism, that, that there's only one God. It seems like it's saying both. That the God we worship, there is only one God. Now, we believe in the Trinity, three persons, one divine essence. We get into that, into theology proper. Don't have time to parse that all out today. Just understand, we believe believe in the Trinity, and in doing so, we, we believe in the unity of God. It seems that this idea that God is one is important. 
and that the response to that, as Jesus says, is that I am to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That this unified, indivisible, unchanging God who is uniquely one in number, that there's no little part of God over here. God isn't like fractioned out and he's not in like the spirit over here and the sun over here. One God, three persons. He's not in nature somehow that I'm worshiping. He's not like there's not sparks of him in each human. Doesn't work like that. One God that I worship. And because he's uniquely one and because he is uniquely holy, he deserves for me to love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. Jesus communicates this command is, hear, O Israel. That part of the command here is I better listen up when it says that God is one and he deserves my worship in the form of my love in every part of who I am. My soul, mind, and strength, and heart, sorry. And then he goes on to say, in the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Yes? about to go down a rabbit trail if we're not careful, but, um, and I'm not looking at, I don't have my Hebrew text in front of me. I am relatively certain that it is Elohim that is used there in Deuteronomy 4, which is a compound singular, uh, the idea, and it is that language of like a clustering. Um, and when we see it used, especially when we see it used in Genesis 1, there is a singular, as I recall, a singular verb, and yet a plurality noun. Um, and we're, by the way, worth taking and, uh, in our in underground seminary, we, have, we just released the Doctrine of God Theology Proper section where we get into this whole thing. Um, and, and I would say the understanding of the Trinity was clearly being revealed even in the Old Testament. While with more clarity in the New, um, we see issues of the angel of the Lord that is referred to of God. The Spirit of God is referred to as deity. We clearly have reference to the Father. The Trinity is absolutely active throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Um, and even in the language like Elohim and the verb language, really important. The oneness of God and, that, and yet the, the three persons of God all built in there. Yes, Andrew. You're all right. Yeah. Um, can you think of a common contemporary misconception of God or belief or Christianity that is addressed by the, the, uh, this aspect of God? Um, yeah, I would say there's probably several. Um, uh, not the least of which would be... Uh, Benny Hinn believes in some trinity of trinities where he believes that there's this fractioning out of God and that there's like nine of them. Um, that would be one. Um, I would say the other thing that does come up is that there is misunderstanding in evangelical circles at times in the and what I would say is, is a misunderstanding both conceptually and in the language. And this is why I usually will say, if we can go back and look at what doctrine says, 
that we always have clear understanding of that three persons, one divine essence, one God existing as three persons. Every now and then, people get a little wonky and start thinking of that like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are each like little parts of God that then when they come together almost like Voltron, if you guys are old enough to remember Voltron, and that that's when like they're the complete, like that that one gets in subtly in people's minds, and I would say that's another one. Um, man, we could go, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, that, those, are, those are a couple kind of on a practical level. Yeah? Yeah, that would be a misunderstanding because then that denies the three persons, and then in that view, modalism, T.D. Jakes believes modalism where it's like, well, it's like a, God puts on his Jesus suit, and then he takes it off, and he puts on his Holy Spirit suit, and he kind of pretends to be three different persons. That's another misunderstanding. Um, a little side note, like, on this section, I was going to talk about the unity of God. You, it's hard to do that without getting into the understanding of the Trinity. And I just realized, I'm like, man, I didn't put together slides for that. I will instead just kind of say, worth more conversation, take the Doctrine of God course in, uh, in Underground Seminary. We get into great detail on it. Um, but yeah, we both, both we've addressed a couple of those, uh, those misunderstandings. Um, I, I would say another one would be just a misunderstanding of the role of the Holy Spirit, seeing him as like a lesser deity. Um, actually, we'll see this every now and then where people think, well, like God is God, the Father is God, and then the Son is, he's God, but not as much, and the Holy Spirit maybe even less. Um, actually, Ligonier Ministries study revealed that that was unfortunately what most evangelicals thought, was that the Holy Spirit was like kind of down here. Well, that's messing up our view of that God is God, and that each, each person of the Trinity is fully God distinct, and yet one God. And that should kind of boggle your mind a little bit, because it is infinite God revealing himself in finite universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a bad... Yeah. Yeah, I would say that pretty much every illustration of the Trinity is bad. <laughs> um... So, you know, the, I've heard the, the like, well, it's like an egg and it has a yolk and whatever. And I'm like, no, because each of those, and actually this addresses the whole unity issue that like, first of all, an, an egg can be separated out, right? But God is uniquely one, right? Um, similarly, the other one would be like the like steam and, and liquid water and ice. Well, that's just modalism. Um, that's like, well, sometimes he's a piece of ice and sometimes he's steam. Like, no, no, that's modalism. Um, there are distinct persons. And you should be able to look at it and be like, this is, this is beyond my mind. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. God exists outside of space and time. In fact, he created space and time. We're about to get into the next comment I need to talk on. He created space and time. He is outside of it. And the illustration I have used, this is meager, but in the same way that if I'm, I'm looking at this cup, and I could say in two-dimensional world, I could draw kind of a rectangle and say it's a cup, and then I could draw a circle, and you're looking at the top of it, and it's a cup. And in a two, if all I have is two dimensions, these look like contradictions. But in the three-dimensional space-time we live in, it's like, no, the cup is the cup, and it makes sense. Imagine how much more for God, who is not bound by space and time, to reveal himself as one God and three persons. And we're in our limited, finite reality saying, like, what? And this is why. This is why we trust God's revelation. My mind cannot 
fully fathom the detail of the Trinity, but I'm supposed to trust him that he is one God, eternally existing as three persons, because that's what he has revealed. Cool. Anyway, sign up for Underground Seminary. A little side note, promise my intention was not to have a big commercial on Underground Seminary. It is free for our church um, because I believe that, like, you should be equipped by your pastors and your elders. So it's free. We charge everybody else for it. So if you want to help us grow it, get other people paying for it so we can keep filming it because uh, I'm about to run out of my free filming that I've been borrowing from a brother in Christ. Um, so anyway, though, sign up for it. Reach out to me. I've got the free link. You can look at all the videos. You can download the workbooks. You can do the reading assignments. Good times. Um, Ready to read on? Because I want to. I don't want to take too much time here. We want to. We want to eat and fellowship. Uh, a couple of key other passages. We'll gloss these really quick. But in John five forty four, it says, "How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God?" Little subtle note here is he's saying, "Are you really a believer if you're looking for glory from humans? Like there's only one God and they're not Him." Little side note that like. Part of me understanding the unity and oneness of God allows me to seek, seek his favor and no one else's. You guys see that like the, when Jesus said, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The result of understanding the oneness and unity and greatness of God is that I don't look for Godness in anybody else but him right? And that my response is loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, worshiping him accordingly, and looking for his favor and not anybody else's. Uh, A little side note also in John 10, 30, uh, Jesus mentions the unity when he says, I and the Father are one. And he's not just talking about like, yeah, we get along. Like he's using oneness, this unity language. One God, three persons. Recognize already that I'm not doing justice to a teaching of the Trinity Feel free to talk to me after. All right. Uh, next thing, we want to talk about the infinity of God, and then we'll be, we'll be done here. Um, when we say God's infinity, we're referring to the fact that he has no limitations save for self-limitations. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this is like the atheists who are sophomoric will say like, well, can God build a rock so big he can't lift it? And they're like, gotcha. And I'm like, no, you, you really have no idea at all what Christians believe. And I try to be respectful, but um, every now and then the atheists like think they've got the zinger. And I'm like, no, you know, we, we have thought of this. You know, it's, it's been several thousand years now. We've, we've really worked through this. Um, God's been, and also God and his revelation is really clear. Let's just have a look. Um, yeah. So infinity of God. We're going to get into detail here. Psalm 119, 7 and 12. If you want to turn there, the psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Starting in verse 7. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and even there your, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light uh, about me uh, be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Understanding, like, this is referencing God's omnipotence, His omniscience, uh, His omnipresence. But we can't talk about those things without talking about his infinity. He's too big to be held in this world, and there's nothing hidden from him. He is infinite. If we want to look at 1 Kings 8.27, it says, "But But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. 
saying like the temple's not going to be big enough to hold you, God. The, the whole of creation can't hold you. How will this little temple hold you? He's infinite. Psalm 92 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's pointing out that God is infinite, not just in our time. We tend to think of infinity as like a really long time, like maybe all of history and into the future. But God is existing even outside of that. Before he created the universe and the space and time that it exists in, all of that, he was already God and from eternity has been so infinitely. And so when this is, hopefully will equip you to counter some false teachings. And when somebody comes along and says, well, you know, God used to be a human on another planet, but then he grew up and he had a bunch of kids with a bunch of wives, and now he has his own planet. Like, we should be able to say, no, 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 no. Like, God has always been God for all eternity. And so, I'm sorry, Mr. Latter-day Saint person, you're wrong. That, like, God didn't used to be a human somewhere else who became God. He has from eternity been God, right? Important stuff. Or even for myself, when I get discouraged, and I'm like, man, this is so crazy. And, like, but remembering that, like, God is infinite. He is with me when I go to Nicaragua. He is with me when I go to Canada, which is, I think I need him more there. Um, he is with me when I go home to my house. He's with me in, in the dark of night. He is with me in the light of day. He is there. He is infinite. He is powerful. He is always God, has always been God. And outside of space and time, he is God. And so then the big thing that comes up is like, well, okay, so how does it work from the sense of like, if he is completely powerful, if, he's com- if he really is infinite, we get a little uncomfortable with that because that doesn't line up with some things that we're used to. And we've, we're used to, like, every time an, a villain in a Disney movie or whatever gets some kind of ultimate power, he's always evil, like, every time. And so I run into this as a pastor. Every now and then it seems like when we start talking about how infinite God is and how powerful, like, there's this, like, oh, this is almost scary to me because I'm not used to understanding a good being being infinite, Right? So we need to understand, as we're touching on to something that we'll get into in in later months, but that God's limitations are only self-limitations. That he is infinite, he is also just and righteous and good. And that not because he is weak, but because he is righteous, he has some of these limitations. So the whole thing of like, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Well, you know, God is infinitely wise, and all-knowing. So, well, no, he can't do the absurd because he is wise to know that he can't. Not to mention that's just an absurd question anyway. But no, God doesn't do the absurd. He is wise, right? He's just, so he doesn't unjustly execute wrath. But let me just tell you, he is just, and so he justly executes wrath. He also executes mercy. And as we're going to see, his infinity is a wonderful thing that is limited only by his own self-limitations as a result of his nature. Is that making sense? This is why in Hebrews 6.18, it says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Scripture is actually clear that there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot lie. He cannot do things that are against his nature. He cannot sin. He cannot act unjustly. 
This is, by the way, when people are like, well, why, why did Jesus have to die for our sins? Couldn't have God have just, like, he's, if he's all powerful, couldn't he, like, snap his fingers and just make everything better? Well, no, in, in his nature, he is just and righteous, and there had to be a payment for sin, right? This is why when people are like, can't, if God's all knowing, why can't he just work this out in this way that I think sounds better and easier? No, because part of his nature is he is just. And they're like, well, why doesn't God just like burn all of the evil people? I'm like, well, a day is coming when he will. But by his grace, he has provided an opportunity in Christ. And so like grace is part of his, it's one of his attributes, man. And so I have the opportunity to be rescued from eternal punishment because of that. Good news. Um, as we're wrapping up, I just need to say it like, because it would be easy to be like, well, this is an interesting thing about God, or maybe you're not interested at all. Hopefully you're interested. How should I respond? Like that this infinite God of unity and order and righteousness and justice and all kinds of things we haven't even talked about yet, what should my response be? My response should be to love him with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. There's a reason why he's mentioning all that. It seems like while God is unified and is one indivisible being, that man, I got all of these parts, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, but all of those things I am supposed to use to love God completely, that he gets all of my worship. He is the focus of my love. I don't seek favor from humans. I seek favor from God alone because he is the one I want to glorify through loving him and enjoying him. And so what I'm hoping we get out of this is not, a, oh, that's an interesting fact about God. Hopefully you do. And then hopefully you're like, and I think I can counter some false teaching with that. But those are the sub points. What I want you to do is say, God, you are so big and you are so wonderful. You are, you are uniquely one. I don't understand how the Trinity works, but it causes me to have wonder because you are something more than I could understand. And you are infinite. And yet all these other attributes come together to make sure that you, you are being this wonderful being of wisdom and greatness. And you're just so big. You're so wonderful. My response should be, God, I love you. That this God of creation has decided to reveal himself to me for the sake of his glory and my good. That's what we want to do. Cool? All right, I'm going to pray. We're going to bless the food, and then we're going to eat a little bit um, and fellowship. As we're doing that, I just want to point out, um, we've got some friends from Portage County here. Um, I, I mean, I really tried to get you guys to just not be kind to visitors or guests, and yet you just already welcomed them back in. Um, would you just guys continue to fellowship and encourage, be in prayer as we continue? Some exciting things are coming as we are preparing to plant more house churches, continue to make disciples. Um, as we come into the fall, this is a great time to get disciple-making into the rhythm of your life if you're not already doing that, uh, or maybe increase the discipleship you're doing. Um, but would you guys join me and pray? We're going to bless the food, and we're going to eat. Uh, God, thank you so much. Um, every time we talk about who you are, I sit back and say, my words were too meager. Um, who you are is far beyond what I can clearly communicate. Even my response just seems meager, Lord. You deserve everything that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So may we love you as such. May we not be guilty of idolatry and thinking that you're less or of seeking favor from someone other than you. Lord, receive glory. May you always be on our mind. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.